Fascinating. By now, you're probably wondering what could be so interesting that I said it that many times in one session and even got a note from my producer to stop saying it. Well, I'll tell you that the topic of this episode is even more than interesting. Let me just find a synonym. It's riveting, 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 riveting. And not just because we talk about something called the floppy fish, bee jelly stuff, or what would happen if Mr. Beast and Frito-Lay came up with a new chip flavor. Hello, and welcome back to Mastering Meatail, a podcast masterclass from Essential Digital Commerce, teaching you everything you need to know about e-commerce. My name is Emma Irwin, and I'm a senior editor and specialist at Essential. Today, we are talking all about social commerce, from influencer marketing to the creator economy to community building to checkout and beyond. And I have such an interesting, just kidding, such a knowledgeable guest here with me to help me learn from Perpetua in Toronto. Let's meet Patrick. I'm Patrick Wagonsmith. I'm the Emerging Channels Lead at Perpetua. I've been at Perpetua for almost four years now. I started February 2019 as the first hire on the sales slash customer success team. It's been a journey since then. So I started off in quote unquote sales, but when you have no customer success or other salespeople, you end up doing a lot of different tasks. So worked in sales and customer success for about a year and a half. Moved into the partnership team, where again, I was the only person in the partnerships team, focusing on expanding our product into new marketplaces. So Walmart, Critio, Citrus Ads. And naturally, as an extension of that, began you know, becoming very interested in different channels that people are selling online, which led me to look into things like TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, which is where I am now sitting at kind of like the emerging channels. So not traditional retail media, but other channels where people may begin their purchase discovery and actually end up making purchases. Patrick's background sets him up so well for this conversation, and we'll talk about the building blocks and state of social commerce, creator and influencer marketing, virality, and the zarification of commerce, which all encompass our foundations of looking at e-commerce from both the media and the retail perspectives. Before we start, you know what we need to cover. All right, I'm going to ask you something we ask every single guest, but you probably already heard. But what is the last thing you purchased on Amazon? Yeah. So for those who don't know, Amazon in Canada is not as hype as Amazon in the US. Delivery times are a little bit longer. Selection is not as broad. So I don't actually order that much off Amazon, but I'm going to plug one of our brands and someone who's now a close friend, but Beekeepers Naturals. They make a propolis spray. For those of you who don't know what propolis is, it derives from bee hives or bee honey or something like that. But it's a natural property that bees generate and it's very anti-inflammatory. So you can put it on cuts, wounds, things like that. But it's also great for your throat. So Beekeepers has this awesome throat spray. You spray it once in the morning, once at night. And I haven't gotten sick since using this. So it just lines your you know, throat with antibacterial bee jelly stuff and tastes pretty good and does a job. So I've ordered probably about 20 of those over the last month, just handing them out to friends and things because just a true believer of the product. Interesting. I was going to ask if it tasted good or bad because I feel like that's like a make it or break it. It's definitely not like as good as honey, but it's not as bad as a medicine. It's somewhere in between. Okay. Okay. All right. Next one for you. I'm going to ask it 
to you now, but we'll come back at the end and kind of answer it. So I'm just putting the thought in your brain. But something that's on your digital wish list doesn't have to be on Amazon specifically, but something that just lives in a cart online. Maybe it's in a tab if you're like me, but it just lives there forever and ever. And you may or may not ever actually purchase it. But like I said, we'll come back to it at the end. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yep. I'll think about that. Cool. Let's start off. We're doing an episode on social commerce. We already talked about it a bit, but I would love for you to give me kind of short and sweet, but still an overview of what we mean when we're talking about social commerce. Yeah, definitely. I think social commerce at the high level is basically like word of mouth marketing, whether, you know, traditionally before social media and the rise of the internet, social commerce was probably people hearing from friends, family, hey, this is a cool product, you should check it out. This is why I like it. Really, social commerce is that at scale. So these platforms have allowed users to connect with people as part of their community and really engage with their content. And social commerce is the intersection between those three things. So the community of the creator or outlet that you're looking at, the content that they're producing, and then the commerce aspect of the products and things that they are engaged with, selling, promoting, whether it be organically or paid. It's really the intersection between brands, a creator, and the content that they're generating. Interesting. Interesting. So you handing out your honey, or not your honey spray, but your beekeeper's natural spray is kind of like social commerce. It is. I'm not an influencer on any of these platforms per se, but I'm more of a real life influencer. So doing exactly the same thing, but just at a smaller scale. So Patrick has covered the true social element of social commerce and the content aspect. What about the transactional element of commerce where you've seen the great ads on social and then want to go and actually buy the product? Where are we at with that? It's an interesting crossroads right now. So as you mentioned, Instagram is actually pulling their shop. I don't know the extent at, at to which they're pulling it, whether it's you know full pulling, meaning just getting rid of it, or if it's gonna be more hidden, but to me, that signals that, you know, Meta has invested and been unable to find a way to actually get people to shop, which at the same time, you see TikTok buying fulfillment centers to begin competing with Amazon. So I know from, you know, our connections and our kind of quarterly talks with TikTok that they are very much investing in trying to be a one-stop shop. So you'll be able to see the product, buy the product, fulfill the product all through the TikTok interface. So brands will be able to send product to fulfillment centers, track sales, things like that. I don't know how well it's going. I know there's been some publicity. They rolled it out first in the UK as kind of a small scale test. There was like a Financial Times article that said it didn't do well. And transparently, we haven't had anyone in the beta to test this yet. They're keeping it very small scale, maybe because the publicity hasn't been great. But that leads to a great question, which is how do you actually get attribution around running these types of ads. So again, phase or like wave two, a lot of influencers use affiliate links. So you're able to like track a code and see how many sales or conversions are coming from the code. But even that, you know, probably didn't tell the whole story. What we've been testing is using Amazon attribution links as link in bio and also like the clickout links on this content. But because of iOS 14, as well as the native experiences that these social media platforms have, what that means is if I'm in TikTok and I click on someone's Amazon attribution link on the, on the video or 
in the bio, it actually brings you to a TikTok browser in-app that doesn't have any of your saved you know, logins or anything like that. So if you actually want to make the purchase on TikTok or in Instagram, you actually have to like log in, put in all your details, click buy, which, you know, leads to a lot of friction. So we're looking at more and more ways to discover the impact that, you know, TikTok and things like that are having. We had one brand who went viral with a foot peeling mask. So like, I guess people on TikTok liked it, you put it on it, brings up the dead skin and you can peel it off and your feet look great. And while we didn't see any attributed sales through the attribution links, what we did see was basically like a hundred X increase in organic sales, which to us meant that, you know, people saw it on TikTok, immediately opened their Amazon app or Amazon web browser, found the product and bought. So we look at a lot of that data, but there are some other exciting innovations happening in the space. So I know we had a you had a podcast with Gloria on Amazon Marketing Cloud, but between two of Amazon's products called Seismic and Amazon Marketing Cloud, we're actually able to embed seismic links into social content. And then from there, the idea is that Amazon user IDs will be passed through Seismic into Amazon Marketing Cloud. So we're able to determine, hey, someone saw this video. Sure, they didn't click on the link and purchase, but then they went to Amazon and searched foot peeling mask, beekeepers throat spray, and then end up making the purchase. So I think the new wave of data clean rooms and partnerships between Amazon and a lot of these social media platforms will allow us to get full funnel path to purchase, which will be a complete game changer for actually having real metrics around what these ads are doing, doing for your brand. So before we move on, allow me to tell you a story about the floppy fish. The Floppy Fish is a product that I got close to probably a hundred ads for on TikTok. It's a fish-shaped dog toy that flops around like a fish out of water if you needed that clarification. But I never did anything with these ads except for scroll past them until one day I got kind of curious. But we'll come back to this. What we're actually going to do is talk about trying to measure effectiveness of your social ads as a brand. I think we benefit from the fact that brands have been investing in this for a long time. So influencer marketing is relatively proved out as an effective way to get, you know, your product into the hands of people and using their platform to amplify your brand message. What we do at Perpetua and specifically with CoBrand is looking at a lot of those ancillary metrics. So basically off the get-go, we'll tell brands, hey, there's a large chance that these Amazon attribution links won't tell the whole story. What we do do is within our dashboard, provide a lot of the other metrics that would be impacted by running these types of campaigns. So when you launch a influencer campaign, we're pulling in the organic sales and matching that with impressions and clicks on TikTok. So you can say, hey, if we're seeing a large spike in impressions, is that actually leading to people, you know, maybe going and purchasing organically? Additionally, we pull in search frequency rank. So search frequency rank is an Amazon metric that gets released once a day. It will give you the top 2 million search terms ranked from first being this was the most searched term on Amazon for that given day, 2 millionth being the 2 millionth most searched. And what you can look at there is if your influencer ads are actually working, people aren't going to go and search a category keyword. So, you know, if we launched foot peel masks and then everyone just goes and search foot peel masks, 
whoever is winning the Amazon search results page is going to be benefiting from your advertisements. What we really look for is increase in branded search. So if we can see that spike in impressions, content going live, and also more and more people are searching your brand name, Amazon, that's a good indicator that people are learning about not just your product, but your brand and actively going and searching and finding your products from a branded search. Additionally, what we look at is the brand metrics. So we also have brand metrics for our brands in our dashboard. And what brand metrics does is allows you to look at how your brand is performing in terms of aggregate branded searches, add to carts, conversions, et cetera, relative to the market. So additionally, if maybe the whole market is up, then maybe your ads aren't actually doing anything. You're just kind of rising with the tide. So making sure that you're tracking relative to competitors. So if the market is stagnant or even down a little bit and you're growing in terms of branded searches, conversions, and kind of growing your size of pie in that market, it's also a good sign that, you know, between those three things, these ads are being effective for you and your brand. So how does a brand go about creating ads that will in fact drive viewers to a branded search on a platform like Amazon? Here's where the floppy fish comes back. One day, I did in fact search for floppy fish on Amazon, thinking that I would see the brand floppy fish. But lo and behold, there were hundreds of flopping fish to choose from, which meant that whatever brand was advertising floppy fish to me wasn't gaining anything for their spend because I didn't actually know which product was theirs, let alone even the name of the brand. Let's get Patrick's tips. At the very you know, start, if you don't have a lot of brand affinity and your products and brand aren't structured in a way that is conducive for people liking the brand, believing in the brand, it's going to be very difficult. So there's a lot of creators on TikTok that do like Amazon finds that slap like a vegetable chopper or things like that. And when there's very low brand differentiation and people are really looking for the product versus looking for the brand, it's basically extremely tough. So it's really making sure before you invest in this that your brand is ready, meaning you have kind of a differentiated stance about why your product offering stands out relative to competitors. Because if you're competing for a vegetable chopper, it's probably on price, unless you're going to like, you know, the high end super brands. I'm not a big cooker, but you know, I'm sure there's a lot of expensive cookware brands. Unless someone's buying that brand specifically, if someone's looking for a cheap vegetable chopper, it's going to be impossible. So one, making sure you know, your brand presence, your brand has a strong message is going to be step one. Once that is ready and creator marketing is going to be for you, that's where we can start by really making sure that you're connecting with the people who are going to get your brand message across. If you remember earlier, authenticity is key. So you can't just hire any creator and any creator have do a good job at getting why your brand is important across. For step two for us is looking at your audience demographic data from Amazon, and then finding creators who have similar audiences, whether it be demographic, location, gender, age, things like that, making sure that the creators that you're, you're thinking of working with will match who is actually buying your product. And then from there, looking at the actual content that they're generating. So something that influencer marketing historically has been based on is followers. So you know, the bigger the follower account, the more the influencer can charge. Again, because these algorithms control so much now of who and what people see, follower account doesn't really matter. So really looking at the content and understanding, is this person going to generate good content? 
that is aligned with our brand messaging and then using that as the indicator of who you should actually work with. Maybe I'm in too deep, but anytime I see some kind of ad from a creator, I'm the person that goes and looks at the creator before. I'm like, I don't even care what product you're promoting. First, I want to know if I like you or if there's any like major red flags on your profile. So I definitely see where that's coming from. Yeah. Like an example would be skincare. So we work with a lot of skincare brands. If you hire a creator who has great following, a ton of good content, but all they do is post about like sports highlights or things like that, you know, the value of even though their audience might be matched in terms of age, gender, location, that's probably not a good fit because one, it's not aligned with who they are. But two, I swear TikTok and Instagram and YouTube know like, hey, this is not like the type of content that people are engaging with on the profile. And it ends up getting buried and, you know, 10x less views and engagement than a normal video. So again, just making sure that the content is aligned with what you're trying to make versus, hey, they have great followers and view count and things like that. Next up, we're going to talk about virality. Those videos or memes or any content really that blows up and you just see it everywhere for a while. And what this has to do with e-commerce is that if you're a brand, there can actually be some opportunity here. I've been asked more than once how to capture some sales velocity off of products or trends that are going viral. Do you guys see that when things go viral, that kind of the metrics can sustain themselves? Or is it really just like a one-time thing? Yeah, that's a great question and something that we also receive. So I guess if there's a type of product that is going viral, if it's not your product and you're not running, you know, that campaign, the best thing to do would be looking at where people are going and purchasing. So foot peeling mask. I'm sure there's, you know, a ton of people who didn't search the brand specifically and just searched foot peel mask. If you're a savvy brand and you can track what is going viral, you can then think about how is someone going to purchase and really ensure that your Amazon sponsored strategy is mirroring that. I would say when something goes viral, you have maybe a 10 day period to capitalize. Do things sustain? Maybe like it's never going to be the same sales volume, but if you have a great product, it's a consumable, reusable, people are going to purchase it again. But you really have 10 days from when something really picks up where you see like a massive spike and then it slowly decays back to baseline or slightly, slightly greater than baseline. But really think about where are people purchasing, maybe owning top of search, where people are going to immediately see, click, find, buy, such that you're able to capitalize on that trend. So that's something that we've been thinking of is like alerts. So we track a ton of different data across Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If we can identify products that are going viral, how do you then inform brands, hey, we're seeing this happen in the market? Maybe make this one or two adjustments to your strategy. Go super hard on these five keywords for the next 10 days. So basically allowing brands to proactively change ad strategy based on how social media is interacting with different categories of products. With that, is it possible to force a product to go viral? That is the ultimate question. Unfortunately, there's no real answer to that. I would say if you had infinite budget, you could hire enough creators and go across enough pieces of content that you would have the same metrics of, of something going viral. But really, the beauty of virality is that the community and the users on the app are the ones deciding what is going viral. So how the algorithm 
works on TikTok, and I'm sure it's similar on YouTube and Instagram, is they basically test the content. So they'll show it to 10 people. And if the first 10 people have a high engagement rate, so video completion percentage, shares, comments, likes, it will expand the test and say, okay, now we show it to 100 people, 1,000 people, a million people. So why you hire creators is, you know, they know how to make content that is at least going to stick a little bit. But for true virality, the community needs to say this is awesome. So you can use data to make guesses. And what people have been doing recently is like, what is a sound that's going viral? Can we capitalize on a sound or a style of video? A lot of the times you might get better engagement, but it still feels forced. So true virality is the golden question and something that if anyone guarantees you they can go viral, probably low chance. It really depends on, for whatever reason, how these things are perceived within the the community. Telling it like it is. I'm so deep into this job that when I'm looking at like TikTok, I'll hear a sound and then you hear it over and over again. But I'll think of like, oh, wow, it'd be really cool if X brand put Y product on this sound. I think that would make like a really funny video for the sound. I'm like, oh, Emma, you're just in too deep. You're too far gone. You sound like you'd make a great creator strategist. So (laughs) like people who can think of that and say, hey, this is a unique way of using something that is viral, remixing it is definitely one of the best strategies out there. Because again, what they say is don't make ads, make TikToks, make YouTubes, things like that. If you're able to, again, authentically engage in a funny way, interesting way with the stuff that is going viral, people will see that, begin to learn about your brand and things like that. So it's definitely something important for brands to be conscious of when thinking about what type of content to make. Last up for this episode is another super interesting, oops, enthralling topic that Patrick brought to my attention, which is the czarification, yes, like the brand, of commerce, which is actually a really cool and kind of futuristic idea of Mitel in practice, this blend of the media see and then how you then get the product to consumers. Zara is really interesting because they're able to build and create fashion lines and fashion items extremely fast and basically test what works and maybe scale the the products that are working and then just continually turn over the things that aren't. Something that I think we should see in the future is basically the zarification of products, Amazon, Walmart, by leveraging creators. So a big bet in the venture capital space right now is building creator-led product lines. So there are kind of two routes that people take. One is like Logan Paul, KSI Prime Energy Drink. Um, You've seen it in alcohol with like George Clooney. And there's one Canadian guy who does a gin thing, Ryan Reynolds, maybe. So basically slapping, you know, creators into a brand and making them own it. There's a few other companies going the opposite way, which is empowering smaller creators to build their own product lines. So there's a really cool company called Pietra that you can basically authenticate your TikTok or your Instagram. It will look at your audience demographics and suggest product lines that you could basically build based on your content, your profiles. And then from there, they'll help you basically connect with manufacturers, allow you to build product lines very fast, set up your Shopify store for you, away you go and you can begin selling. Um, They also do like put you with design freelancers. So you basically can white label creating a brand. I think that's also interesting 
But I think the world which we see and why we actually called our creator platform co-brand to begin with is that co-branding is the future, but not as it stands currently. This all inspired me to think about this is obviously a mega creator, but like if Mr. Beast partnered with like Lay's potato chips for their next flavor of potato chip, like I think usually they use like a, they survey people and then pick one idea to be the new flavor, but like how much more power could you have if you brought in, not necessarily as big as Mr. Beast, but you did something like that. Yeah. When we talk about virality, letting audiences decide, it's like if you could really quickly create five variations, five flavors, five creators, audience decides who gets chosen. So you sell all five, whoever sells the most, that's a new product line for a year or something like that. So there's a gamification around audiences as well, where you let the viral one win and really get people engaged and bought into what you're building, why your flavor is the best or your variation is the best. So there's a lot of fun stuff that can happen. I think historically it's been very difficult because manufacturing like formulations, coming up with that, thinking about where you're going to store the inventory, how much inventory. The risk is you buy it and the creator can't sell any. And then you, you know, you're stuck with this weird product line. Last thing, something on your digital wish list, something that just lives in a cart forever. You won't purchase it. And of course, I'll follow up with why you won't purchase it. Or maybe you will. I would say the new Xbox Series X. Why won't you just immediately purchase it? So I guess back in university and like when I was younger, I used to play a lot of Xbox and, you know, you would get on with your friends and play Call of Duty or FIFA for hours. Kind of stopped after university once we started working. But during COVID, everything kind of shut down and we got back to playing way too much video games. At the same time, about halfway through COVID, they released the Series X and all my friends bought it. And I was like, oh, I should purchase this. I should purchase this. And then I waited too long. And as things started opening up, our game days began to wind down. So I'm at a point where I'm not sure if it's worth the investment anymore. But we're starting to say that I, we miss playing games together. So maybe we get back into it and I'll, I'll pull trigger. But until then, it's just going to sit there. And that is it for another episode of Mastering Meatail. Thank you to Patrick for the knowledge and thank you for listening. If you could, please drop us a rating or a review on the platform of your choice. It really helps us out. Margot, shut up. And if you know of someone this episode might interest, note that interest is a different word than interesting, share it with them. This episode was produced by Klaus Cancel with sound design from Enos Tenchi. I've been your host, Emma Irwin. See you next time. <laughs>